You may be seated. Children may be dismissed to Children's Church with our volunteers there in the back. And for those of you who remain, whether in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 84. We've been looking at the Psalms this summer, considering the theme of worship and what it means to worship the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And today, we consider what it means to worship the Lord with all your strength. This is Psalm 84. This is God's Word. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Lord Almighty, we need your wisdom. We need your strength. That we may have the strength to worship you rightly. Help us to understand how it is that you supply this strength to us that we might be a people whose lives are characterized by the worship of you, the Most High God. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, many of you, perhaps, took some time this summer to go on vacation. Maybe you planned it for a long time. Remember when we went to Disney World years ago? You had to plan that thing like two years out. It's crazy. Or maybe you were looking at gas prices and how hot it was and all the traffic and how crazy it is to fly anywhere anymore, and you thought to yourselves, there's got to be a better way. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, what if we just imagined our vacations? Right? You just you pick a week, and you just sit down quietly, and you close your eyes, and and you, you get the app for your phone and you play the white noise and, and you just imagine the waves crashing. And 
And you maybe you could look at pictures on Google of different sandcastles that you could have built. And you, you just talk about how annoying it is when the sand gets everywhere. And, and you, you listen outside to children playing in the neighborhood and pretend that that's your children playing in the waves with joyous fun. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just imagine your vacation. It doesn't work, does it? It doesn't, this, this is why Zoom school loses its charm quickly. This is why just watching concerts on YouTube isn't the same as being there. Because being there matters. And what Psalm 84 is about is about being there in the place that matters. And it encourages us to worship the Lord, not just in our minds, but with all we are, wherever we are, with all our being, with all our strength. And so we're going to look at what it means to worship the Lord with all our strength this morning. And we're going to consider the fact that we Don't just worship as brains on a stick. We worship God as beings who are embodied souls. We're going to look at what it means for us to worship as embodied souls in the real world, not in some imaginary world where the sand doesn't get everywhere, but in the real world with all its faults and failures and frustrations. We're going to look at what it means that we worship the Lord as embodied souls in the real world through Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. Worship as embodied souls in the real world through Christ, the incarnate Son of God. So the first thing I wanted to consider is this idea of the the place of worship as we Consider what it means that we worship as embodied souls. Worship is not a a mental exercise alone. We read in the Bible about spiritual worship and uh, in the, the spiritual places, and it's really easy for us to start to think about spiritual things as Imaginary things, not just unseen things. But, but spiritual in the scriptural sense does not mean imaginary. Because when we are raised from the dead on that last day, we are raised not into fleshly bodies, but into spiritual bodies. Jesus was raised into a spiritual body. We are given spiritual gifts. Those aren't imaginary gifts. Those are real gifts. When the Bible talks about these spiritual realities, it's talking about things characterized by, empowered by, formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit of God. And those things, far from being imaginary, will outlast all other things. And so worship Spiritual worship isn't worship that just takes place in the the inner spaces never to see the light of day. It is worship 
that involves our whole being as embodied souls. We've been looking at worship with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if, if worship in heart, if your heart in the, the biblical sense points primarily to the, the essence of who you are, what you love, what you direct your affections and worship toward, if your soul is the focus of who you are, your identity, uh, who, you know, what, what it is you were made to be, then your strength in the biblical sense can be thought of in that worldly effect. What is it? What does it look like when the, the focus of our hearts shapes our, our view of who we are, our very identity, and leads us to take that step out into the world in worship? To worship with all our strength, in other words, is to worship in this real, tangible world with our real, tangible being. You see this physicality of worship saturated throughout the Psalms, and in Psalm 84 in particular. He cries out, he says, My heart and flesh sing for joy. He doesn't just gather himself and sit down and, Cry out for joy, and, and, and it, it, like it's inconceivable that he could contain that in his inner being. It overflows, and his very body cries out to the living God. You see him talking about the blessing of those who dwell in the presence of God, those who live, who tabernacle, if you will, in, in the very place where God is. It matters where we are. You see in verse 7, where it speaks of going from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. This idea that, that we continue to live in the world more and more as we're shaped and formed by God, more and more for His glory, all the while with His eye upon us, appearing at the last day before him, personally, not as disembodied souls, but as resurrected people. You see, the psalmist speak of being a doorkeeper in the house of God as being preferable to living, dwelling in wickedness. This idea that it's, there is a service to, to, to perform, that, that, that being in God's presence is more than just an intellectual exercise. It involves a, a calling, a vocation, such that he would even describe worship as a walk. Scripture does this. It's called to walk in the Spirit. Our faith is called the way. That This life of worship that we're called to cannot be consigned to the innermost places or to our imagination. It it must overflow from the heart into all of life. Or to say it a different way, worship, where we worship, matters because worship is holistic. It's not just in your mind. 
It's not just in the innermost place of your heart. It's not just your conception of self. It's even how you direct your strength. It is all of you. Worship isn't simply going to an event or going to a place. Worship is life lived in the presence of God and all that goes with that. What are some ways we might have lost sight of that that holistic concept of worship? I challenge you, do a study of the whole Bible today, this afternoon, if you will, of, of people's posture in prayer. We just read a, a section from 1 Timothy where he says, I call men to lift holy hands in prayer. You see Jesus turning his face towards heaven. You see those fall on their face, beating their chest. You see uh, Jacob wrestling with God. And we always preach that passages, and this is talking about prayer, but he was actually wrestling with God physically. Like there is there is this embodied element to prayer. Which is why some traditions have you kneel or bow your head or put your hand. Or it's a recognition, if you will. Prayer is so glorious, so amazing that we can lay every petition and need at the feet of God that it can't just be something that we recite like like our times tables in our heads. It it ought to involve our whole being. And it might even shape our posture in worship. And yet, in some traditions, maybe our tradition, somebody raises their hands in worship, we give them the side eye, like, what is going on with them? They are so emotional. Or you read in the Bible about songs, how God's people, a whole section of the Psalter, are songs sung as God's people are walking to the temple together. Not just, let's get together in our choir and we're, we're, maybe we'll sway a little bit. They are walking on a road together singing God's praise because they're going somewhere that's so joyful that they overflow with praise. Or let's, the shouting, the groaning, the dancing. I went to a church when I was away on vacation where they clapped for everything. It was glorious. Like, we get suspicious when people are clapping. Well, I don't want it to be a performance. Okay, fine. But like, the deacon made an announcement and they clapped for it. Sang a hymn, they clapped. During, after, before, the preacher was preaching, they were clapping. I'm like, how can he concentrate with all this clapping going on? But he didn't lose a, a, a single step. They clapped for everything, and it was wonderful. And I thought to myself, what have I missed? Clap your hands for joy, all you saints. He 
didn't lose a step, but now I'm distracted. <laughs> Maybe I have uh, ways to grow myself. Keep that up. But right? We get, we get unnerved or ill at ease or, or confused when people are just so overcome with the glory of God that it affects actually how they move. Or how they come alongside one another and live life together along the way. How they bear one another's burdens. How they weep when we weep. How they rejoice with us when we rejoice. That worship, not just in the forms and the things that we do, but in just how we live life together in the presence of God. It's not... How many passages of Scripture say it's not enough when your brother comes to you in need for you to say, I'll pray for you. Be warm. Well fed. For us to live lives of worship means to devote our strength to actually caring for them holistically. This is why Scripture speaks of worship as offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We worship as embodied souls. That that is where we are. And wherever you go, there you are. There's not some other place you can teleport to. There you are. And yet, the amazing thing, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are both here and before the throne of God. What wonders will He yet show us in the new heavens and new earth when He raises our bodies to everlasting life? Let's never separate the real, tangible, physical, from what God calls us to in living lives of worship. We worship as embodied souls, but we also worship in the real world. We have a tendency to reduce worship to another thing. We're always doing the next thing. I have a full focus planner. I live by that thing. Plan out my week. Here are the top three goals for the week. Here are the top three goals for each day. Here's my annual goals. I love it. And I'm always thinking about the next thing. <clears throat> and sometimes that's good. And sometimes it guts everything of any joy and significance. And when we treat worship as just the next thing, oh, we got to get to church. When we treat living life in the presence of God as just the next thing, well, what does God want me to do now? We, we miss the significance of what worship is. That the, the practice of worship as embodied souls is to learn to be at, at home with God. To live life in His presence. You see this in the, the psalmist's observations in nature. Even the sparrow finds a home. He's looking at creation and he sees this illustration that that there is this longing 
for rest. There is this longing for home. There's this longing to not have to go to the next thing, but to just be with those we love and the Lord. And, and the psalmist is, is looking forward to being in the temple. Maybe he is on his journey there. Maybe he's getting ready to be called up for his service soon, and he can't wait to get there. And he's looking out at nature, perhaps in his, on his journey there. He's like, this desire that I have is good, but it's not just the desire to be at the temple. This desire to be at home is a desire to be in the presence of God. To know his blessing, to know his peace, to know the, the sure calm and joy that comes from knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And as he thinks about this, he recognizes that even on this journey, he's going through some hard places. It doesn't always feel like home goes through the, the valley of Baca, which could mean the, the valley of weeping or the thirsty valley. Either way, the point is it's very dry there, very full of sorrow. And yet, God sends rain there. He doesn't have to wait till we get to the next thing. He doesn't have to wait till we get to the temple a life lived in the presence of God. It's wherever you are, He is with you. Whatever valley you are walking through, He is there. Whatever sorrow you endure, He is able to provide refreshment and hope and equip you. What is so glorious about this verse, it's not just that they're going through the, the thirsty valley. It's not just that God sends rain and, and covers it with pools, but He's equipping his people who are there in the midst of it, even them, to make it a place of springs, to leave it better than when they first found it. And so it can, the psalmist can speak of going from strength to strength, even as the New Testament talks of going from glory to glory, always taking that next step in life, being conformed more and more into the likeness and image of God, in a way that isn't confined just to our heads, just to our inner man, but it can't help but spill out into the world. As we live lives of worship, it doesn't just shape us. The Lord uses us to then shape the very world around us, to be salt and light in that place. But to grow from strength to strength, we can't do that on our own. And when it says each one appears before God in Zion, it, it, it does mean there is coming a day when we will stand before God, but it doesn't say will appear. It's not just that. It's that even now, at this moment, in the power of God and the Holy Spirit, we are in the heavenly places with Christ. We are with Him, and He is with us. And His face is always on us. And his presence is always with us in Christ. And he is able to grow us from strength to strength to help us grow in him so that more and more 
not just how we think, not just how we feel, but what we do looks more and more like our glorious God. But for that to happen, that sort of faith that grows from glory to glory, glory that grows from strength to strength, that kind of faith, it, it grows by being exercised. Right? This spiritual muscle isn't built up by sitting around and, and not worshiping. Where does your faith need to be exercised in the real world? There is a sense in which the church is given to us by God to be a gymnasium, a training ground, if you will, for us to learn what that looks like. Where are you struggling? Are you struggling to pray? Does it feel like every time you are in that dark valley and you call out to God that you don't, you don't feel His presence, you don't sense that your prayers pierce the ceiling tiles, much less that God is giving an attentive ear to you? Do you find yourself struggling and stumbling to not even know how to pray or what to say or when to say it or, or what to do? How will you learn? What will it look like for you? To exercise that well, maybe join with others who have the same struggle. Every Sunday morning at 9.15, we're in the fellowship hall there praying together. Praying for our needs. Praying for our world. Praying for the things that we fear, the things that we can't see the things that we need God to step into and just do a work. And it's been amazing that sometimes we see together God answer those prayers in glorious ways. And we're reminded that his ear does hear. And his arm does move. Maybe you struggle with reading Scripture and you want to know more of this God who is so glorious and this is where we learn about who He is and what He's done for us. But you open up the pages and you don't know where to go or what to read or or how to even understand it. And you turn to the book of Numbers and you get to a genealogy and you don't even know how to pronounce half the words, much less what does it mean for you? Well, we have a discipleship program here as a church. We'd invite you to sign up for not two days before the deadline. Where all we do is sit down together and read the Bible and pray together. And I, a seminary trained pastor, who, and I'm using air quotes here just in case you don't know, who knows all the answers. Right? That's sarcasm. I found in every time I've done this discipleship program and we're reading a passage and the other person across from me says, well, this really hit me, and I thought to myself, this, I'm floored. I'm like, I've studied this passage 60 times, and I've never thought of that. Because that's how God's Word is. So deep. You can never exhaust the meaning of it. What would it look like if you're struggling to just sit down with somebody else who's just like you and read the Bible together and pray? What would it look like for the church to be your gymnasium, your training ground, to grow and strengthen your faith, to connect with a small group, to serve in the nursery, to do these things in the real world together that help us learn what it means to grow 
from strength to strength in our faith. That's why we do these things. It's not to build my ego. It's not to make us proud of all the stuff we have going on. So we can grow in Christ. See his glory. Together. More and more and more. Because being there matters. And that's why it's important that we recognize that as we worship as embodied souls in the real world, we worship Christ, the incarnate Son of God. He did not remain in heaven and snap his fingers or think good thoughts towards us. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. He bore in his body our sins on the tree, in his body. He was raised from the dead in a real body that he invited Thomas to test and see. He calls us together and knits us together as his people, his body, his church. And even the psalm in verse 9, and almost an, an aside, cries out for God to look on the face of your anointed. The anointed one, the Hebrew word is Messiah. The Greek word is Christ. The anointed one is anyone that God anointed for some special or particular purpose, but ultimately is the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, who is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords and the Savior of sinners. How interesting that God is, that the psalmist is asking God, turn your face Look on his face. Like this, it's almost anticipating a, a physical Messiah who will come and save the people. It's interesting, you read in Numbers that the benediction that Aaron and his sons are commanded to give God's people is that God would turn his face towards them. And God is a spirit and does not have a body like a man, but it, it makes the case that our bodies matter. God shines his, his faith and his glory and his kindness upon us. And his body, the church, matters. And he devotes his energy and strength to growing us up in him. My son and I had a problem with the bank. And we called the little number that they said to call. And they had the card services division, and they had the bank division, and we needed the bank division, but the menu kept taking us to the card services division. And it was not even a push-button menu. It was like, just tell us what you need. We are so smart. We will take you exactly there. And it doesn't matter how loud you scream, bank services. It still took us to card services. So frustrating. that finally we were like, forget it. We just went to the branch. Somebody sat down with us in person and took care of it immediately. It was glorious. In as much as dealing with the bank is glorious. 
Jesus does not respond to us like trying to navigate one of those AI menus, right? He came to seek and save the lost. He calls his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. He, he speaks of living life in the presence of God as involving all that we are and all that we have and all that we do, moving from strength to strength. What will it look like for us as his people, as his church in this particular place, to worship Christ with all our strength? It might mean that you will need to get your hands dirty and coming alongside someone in need and actually helping them and not just praying for them. It might mean that you, when you're in need, might need to ask for help and not let your pride get in the way of the spiritual blessing that is other people in God's family bearing your burden with you. It might look like us looking for ways to demonstrate that people matter holistically. The totality of who they are, body and soul. It might look like admitting that sometimes we worship in a world that's just a mess. It's full of sorrow and it's dry and it's not always going to be on cloud nine. Sometimes living life in the presence of God and it's messy, and it's, it can be crushing. But our God is able to strengthen us. It might look like inviting others not to connect just with us and, and, and be this for us and do this for us, but it might look like us going out into the neighborhoods, into the workplaces, into the highways and the byways, and inviting people not to a political platform, not to a way of living, not to a way of dressing, not to a way of being, but inviting people to be reconciled to God in all that they are and have in their whole lives and modeling for them what that might look like. Or to put it a different way, for us as a church to live lives that worship the Lord with all our strength look like being a people whose worship spills out. It just can't be contained. It might move you to lift your hands in a song. It might move you to to give praise to God when the children are, are rambunctious and loud in worship because you know glory of God. For he is ordained out of the mouths of lips and out of the mouths and lips of children he is ordained praise. You might you might see opportunities outside of this hour to help people, care for them, to invite them in, to serve them. What will it look like? for you to have your life spill over with the worship of the living God as an embodied soul in the real world. That's what he's called us to. And he promises he'll strengthen us to that end. 
Let's pray that he would do that. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are the sort of God that cares about our whole being. Lord, you care when we are ill. You care when we are lost. You care when we are dry and sorrowful. You care when we long for your presence. And you call us to yourself. You call us into your presence to strengthen us, to grow us from glory to glory we might be your people, not just now, but forever, that we will be there with you, even as you are now here with us. Lord, give us confidence for that day, that we might live moment by moment, day by day, in your strength and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.